0: We get to step in today, especially for the high holy days of Christianity. We want to actually take this holy day and try to make it incarnate again. The, the way we see this happening is not by just looking at a historical event, because if incarnation, if resurrection is only historical, then it actually has no generative life-giving ability today. But the things that we form, the things that we've shaped, the ways that we have named actually have to go through the Easter event, they have to be crucified, they have to die in order for that which comes back to be the incarnation of Christ again. So today, mm-hmm. you know, to do this, to be able to name this, to be able to dialogue a little bit, we're gonna be looking at two paintings, one from the Renaissance of a white Jesus in the tomb, and one that just happened recently that was to celebrate the new millennium the Catholic Reporter invited a bunch of people worldwide to say what would Christ look like if he was incarnated today.
1: And I think it's it's interesting though, like like with um, the painting of Holbein's, like the body of the dead Christ, because like like Holbein did something that like it, that. At least from my understanding, um, no other painter had done at that point was actually because like there's this notion of, of of the crucifixion. So painting like, you know, the idea of painting the crucifix and then painting the resurrection, um, but to actually sit in the in the actual tomb with the body of Christ. Uh, was something that was unique to their time. And and again, like, you know, so I want to give props for props to do because he actually pushed the conversation forward to actually give another image of Christ. But this image is also rooted in their social context, their social imagination of what Jesus could possibly look like as Europeans, right? So, um, you know, we have the benefit today to see the image of Christ from a global perspective because through technology and everything else, we have a very global perspective of, of what humanity looks like. I think, like these these paintings, um, I think these paintings, both of them actually, are are the artist's interpretation um, causing disruption that uh-huh. actually moves people towards towards um, a a truer picture of Christ, whatever, and, and 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 that it doesn't look like a like Jesus crystallized in any in any one moment. It looks like, you know, it's like, what does Jesus, like Jesus, like a snapshot of Jesus throughout history, throughout history, not just in a historical moment, actually look like. And I think both of these ones call us to to sit with the discomfort of that disruption, but then also to move forward and say, Hmm. what does it look like for us to participate in the resurrection then? What does it actually look like for us to anticipate the resurrected Christ to show up as someone we would not expect in this moment? Um, but those voices around us that are calling have actually been burning within us for a long time. We can actually we we've actually been sensing that rub towards justice and 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 our own ignoring of it. We feel the tension because that tension causes friction. That friction creates like that burn, like heat. You know what I mean? And I and I feel like yeah. we're seeing in this moment um a lot of people waking up to that tension. Hope, you know, you know, and I'm and I'm hopeful that that that, that tension will continue to push people out of their comfort zones. It'll continue to disrupt. Um, that the voice of, of Christ uh, will continue to burn in, in, in people's hearts in ways that they can't ignore. And I think that's, like, for me, the hope when we talk about resurrection, when we talk about Easter, um, I'm
0: reminded of that hope. I'm reminded of, of, of that calling of justice. No, I really appreciate that because it's, um, it's calling us to a living hope. So that at any point even now if we say 2000 christ is the end all be all we've just killed hope that the living hope as you said is one that continually becomes refreshed and new voices going forward so we can almost look with joyful anticipation because we know we have to build now it's too important justice is too important for us to say we have to wait until we can figure out the system that's flawless We need to try to to move towards justice, but we can also have the promise of Easter, the promise of resurrection is like you said, we'll experience resurrection repeatedly as the systems we realize where there's holes, as the new art comes forward, as we can look back and say, that would no longer be the Christ of today. We can actually take that as hopeful, and say that means resurrection has been affecting society and us. And like you said, we've been answering that burning call that haunts us to move towards the voice of God in the other that says the movement toward justice is the answer to resurrection. Yeah.
1: Amen, amen, hallelujah, (laughs) hallelujah.
2: We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice, but there is a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead.
3: And we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There is a direct effect of our evil. Like when someone steals from another person, they have created injustice. Hmm. And therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust. There's emotional damage. It's like vandalism and they need to make that right too. Now, many people
2: believe, hey, God is good, He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in
3: the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed and and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts
2: us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this
3: is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity.
2: So how is he going to do that?
3: Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice which I know it seems weird to us but for the Israelites it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed but God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place and the biblical word for this is atonement which means to cover over someone's death. But there is a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. and In the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember this is a symbol and it is a symbol that we are not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and His grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that is the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So, the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant and not just serve but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice.
2: This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel
3: suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to his sacrifice of atonement. And so, all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in His world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so, we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of His life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that is the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there is more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along.
2: So because of Jesus, the early
3: Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is this sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper, which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life.
2: So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace.
3: But they do more than that they connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead It's the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace.
4: Hi everyone, happy Easter and happy Resurrection Sunday. As members of the body of Christ, we recognize that today is a holy day for us to remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sacred hope that it brings to the world and all of us. I pray that today of all days that your faith is encouraged in our gathering and that we are reminded of Christ's presence in our love for one another. We are currently in a series where we are looking at different poetic and symbolic images of Christ that we see in the New Testament. We join in the imagination of the New Testament authors and early Christians to find life in the symbolic imagery of Christ's identity and allow it to impact our identity as well. Today, we will look at Jesus, the high priest, through the eyes of the author of Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is a dense book, especially when it comes to building a complex and intricate understanding of Jesus particularly as the high priest. Context in this book is crucial. We just finished a video from the Bible Project that I chose to help situate us in the ancient Jewish tradition of sacrifice and atonement, and why it was important and necessary. This helps us understand a little bit more of the role of the high priest and the meaning behind it. I want to expand on that context now just a little bit. To understand what it means that Jesus is high priest, you also have to understand the cultural and spiritual practices of the ancient Hebrew people and their temple and priesthood rituals. Now, I don't wanna overwhelm any of us with too many of the technicalities of this, but I do want to uh, want to give an overview of some of the roles and structures of the temple and priesthood. In Old Testament scripture, we see God establish a set of laws and rituals through Moses for his chosen people, who will later become the nation of Israel. These laws and rituals were conditions of God's covenant made between him and his people, a covenant being a sacred and binding relationship and agreement, usually with conditions by one or both sides. A part of these laws included a formal system of worship offerings, and sacrifice, within a sacred temple-like area known as the Tent of Meeting. This is different than the physical and more permanent temple that David commissions in Jerusalem later on in the Old Testament. Before that, God instructed the Hebrew people to build a portable altar and sanctuary for his presence in a tent-like structure. In this tent-like temple, Prayers, incense, food, and animal sacrifices would be offered to God in order for the people and the land to be cleansed and to atone for the people's transgressions, or the times they disobeyed the law and broke their side of the covenant. But not just anyone could offer sacrifices in the temple, since it was a physical place where the presence of God was supposed to dwell. God established a priesthood through the line of Moses' brother, Aaron, to be the special representatives of the community who would perform the sacrifices and offerings on their behalf. Inside the temple, there were different sections, an outside courtyard with an altar and two rooms inside. These two rooms were separated by a curtain. The sanctuary beyond the curtain was a place called, according to the author of Hebrews, the Holy of Holies, and was where the tangible presence of God was supposed to dwell. God instructed that the high priest would only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, the Day of Atonement, which is still celebrated as Yom Kippur today. And it is still one of the holiest days in the Judaic calendar. The Day of Atonement was a significant ritual of sacrifice that atoned for the evil and uncleanliness for the people of Israel as a community. This was not an atonement for each individual's personal failures or shortcomings, but it was for the community as a whole. God required accountability for how the community failed to act justly together. And the sacrifice animals became the scapegoats for the ways they ignored their responsibilities to God and each other. The high priest was a crucial element for the Day of Atonement, as he became the representative to carry the burdens and injustices in the community. And the high priest would perform a sacrifice to liberate the community from the ways that it hurts itself and others. The sacrifice was a way to cleanse the community from the filth of hatred, greed, pride and selfishness. The Book of Hebrews steps into this rich and symbolic tradition of the Jewish story and weaves it together with the story of Jesus Christ, the Jewish son of man and son of God, who fulfilled the conditions of the first covenant by his perfect life and subsequent sacrifice. The author of Hebrews writes to an audience that would have had an in-depth understanding of the Old Testament writings, especially the first five books known as the Torah. The readers of Hebrews would most likely be Jewish Christians who know well the traditions of atonement and priesthood and the need for sacrifice and cleansing ritual. The Jewish readers understood who Jesus was, in light of the Jewish tradition. In the face of persecution and oppression, they received an image of Jesus that made sense to the systems and right, of, systems of righteousness and justice that God had given to Israel through the first covenant. Knowing this, the author of Hebrews paints a picture of Jesus as the last and eternal high priest. Interestingly, Hebrews is the only place that Jesus is referred to as a high priest. It was a new connection that was being made. Through creative metaphor and imagination, the author expands our understanding of Jesus as a sacrifice, to Jesus as the eternal high priest who offers himself as the final sacrifice. Through reimagination and tradition together, Jesus takes on a new role would have strongly impacted the Jewish Christians of the time. The author intends to encourage and inspire the faith of his audience with this hopeful imagery of Jesus's identity. They are encouraged to perseverance in the faith, comforted by the fact that Jesus is now their high priest who is still fulfilling his duties through the new and more perfect covenant by interceding and praying for their behalf in the heavenly temple. Though they cannot physically see him, Jesus continues as the high priest to all who call to him, advocating on our behalf in the heavenly altar, since he is intimately in tune to our weaknesses, struggles, and pain. He is a high priest who knows what it means to be human, but one who has perfect character and integrity. Through this image, the sacred meaning of the old tradition is now woven together with Jesus as the high priest. To the author, this completes the traditional system, which in its fullness operates with love, grace, self-sacrifice, mercy, and compassion. Jesus embodies not only the vulnerability of a broken sacrifice, but also strength and power. Not power that dominates, but one that willingly lays down its life. In this, the cross becomes more than an execution tool, but a sacred sacrificial ritual. In fact, Hebrews actually gives little focus to the crucifixion and the role of empire and corruption that led to Jesus's death. In this moment, roman capital punishment is not at play instead it is replaced by high priests ritual atoning sacrifice redemption and continued prayer on our behalf in heavenly places the image of Jesus' gruesome death on the cross is important but in hebrews that image recedes what emerges is jesus as the high priest a powerful advocate for life and liberation on behalf of the people of God and anyone who calls on him. Our high priest has agency and works on our behalf. He is forever for you, not against you. It is an image of Jesus that inspires perseverance and hope in the face of suffering and oppression. Jesus as high priest is one way to tell the story one symbolic metaphor out of many. In terms of the ancient covenant between God and the Hebrew people, it takes existing symbols and repurpose it to new meaning, new meaning for Jesus's suffering, death, resurrection, and how that all in turn impacts us. In Hebrews, the Jewish, Jewish story and tradition was not abandoned. But it was fulfilled and reimagined in a way that offered greater liberation, justice, and mercy. Jesus was a Jewish man who embodied the Jewish tradition in fullness, and to those who believed in him, he became its ultimate expression. This is a story that we are humbly grafted into, and where our faith and hope find its roots and meaning and we must never forget that. Lastly, I wanted to highlight something that Glenn pointed out to me that may seem simple, but has profound impact for those who accept the story of Jesus rooted in Jewish tradition. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who becomes our high priest, the final sacrifice is made. He brings about the end Of sacrifice, the end of scapegoats, the end of placing the responsibilities of our broken systems and communities outside of us, and the end of needing to be entrapped in a cycle of violence without any internal or systemic change. As the forever high priest, Jesus fulfilled systems and rituals to bring us greater possibility for hope and for life. Now we can be accountable and pursue greater systems of freedom and justice in our communities with our High Priest, who advocates on our behalf and teaches us how to lay down our lives for the liberation of others. As we lean into the story of Jesus Christ, we can continue to establish systems of life and justice for each other as a community. Thank you.